Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. G'day mates, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. I'm Marcus and the flaming guy sat opposite me is Nick Chaffee. G'day Nick. What did, what did you just call me? You're a flaming guy, you know it. Okay, that's a new one for me. Come on mate, you must have watched Home and Away. No. Oh, <laughs> strange. I, I, I remember because it was on after CITV, wasn't it? Back in the uh, the 90s. I, I saw the, like, the theme tune loads of times but I never watched the actual programme. <laughs> well, no Home and Away on today's show. However, we do have two big film reviews for you. The first is The Call of the Wild, starring Harrison Ford. It follows the story of a dog named Buck, taken from his comfortable life in California and sent to work in the harsh Yukon. And if you're thinking about renting a film, then we'll be giving you the rundown on Ready or Not, where a bride's new in-laws force her to take part in a killer game of hide-and-seek. In between the reviews, this week's Take 5 film quiz has an Australian flavour. Blimey, mate! But before you fire up your barbies and slip on your thongs, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Thanks, Marcus. So headlines this time, Steven Spielberg exits Indiana Jones 5 and Apple does not let bad guys use iPhones on screen. So here's an example of how quickly plans can change in the film business. Earlier this week, an interview made the rounds in which Harrison Ford assured fans that he and director Steven Spielberg were taking the time to get Indiana Jones 5 right, and despite scheduling issues and a few script things, the sequel was still very much in development. And now Variety reports that Spielberg is no longer directing Indiana Jones 5, and James Mangold has entered talks to replace him, making this the first indie film that won't be directed by Spielberg, who will remain involved as a producer. It's a pretty huge gig for Mangold, who most recently directed Ford versus Ferrari, known in this country as Le Mans 66, which earned four Oscar nominations, including one for Best Picture, and one Oscars for both sound and film editing. But it also wouldn't be the director's first time in the director's seat for a major franchise sequel. He previously directed The Wolverine and Logan, which effectively recalibrated Hugh Jackman's comic book spin-offs and set the actor and his iconic role out on a critically acclaimed note. Mungold is a great director and has proven himself a craftsman even in the realm of big-budget spectacle, but fans of the filmmaker might prefer he tackles something, anything else besides the fifth instalment in Indiana Jones. His work on Logan, however, makes him an extremely intriguing choice and an optimistic one, given where we last left the Indiana Jones franchise. Mm. Well, okay, on the surface, you think, oh, that's, that's, that's a real shame. However, who directed Crystal Skull? Uh, Steven Spielberg. And there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a fan of that film. And so I think yeah. they bring someone new in. And Mango, yeah, could hmm. be a good choice. It might be just the uh, the spritzing it needs. Sure, I think he has some of the same sensibilities as Spielberg as a director. The sort of very, um, I want to say, sort of John Ford Western inspired, which Spielberg always had in his uh, his blockbuster stuff. On the other hand, Spielberg has like a, a certain something, and I, I accept that uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't a particularly 
uh, good film in, in my <laughs> opinion, but it was still it still felt Spielbergy to me, and that that I think made it the worth worth the price of admission just about. So it'll be interesting to see if Mankell can sort of recapture that sort of very specific, you know, inspired by thirties adventure serials sort of, um, touchstones that the uh, the previous films have had. Yeah. Thing is, I guess it depends what age you see these films. And I grew up with the original Indiana Jones films and Same. loved them. You know, it was a real adventure to go to the cinema and watch them. Mm. And even the um, Last Crusade, yeah, was a wonderful addition to the to the set. I thought, yeah, but um, it's, uh, second best, if you ask me. And so, I was just felt let down by Crystal Skull. It, it just had all the wrong elements. Like the shoe on this in, the shoe on that in. Mm. So, yeah, keep our fingers crossed. Let's be optimistic. Yeah, let's hope they they get things right. Yeah, for number five. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they want to. Film director Ryan Johnson has lifted the lid on a secret in the world of product placement. Apple will not allow its kit to be used by a villainous character on screen. Apple, they let use iPhones in movies, but, and this is very pivotal, if you're ever watching a mystery movie, bad guys cannot have iPhones on camera. Johnson, whose uh, credits include Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Looper, and Lives Out, revealed in a video recorded for Vanity Fair. He, uh, Johnson let the secret slip as he took viewers through an anatomy of a scene in Lives Out, a whodunit with the, uh, an ensemble cast including Daniel Craig, Tony Collette, and Jamie Lee Kirk. In the pivotal scene, the will reading following the murder of a rich novelist played by Christopher Plummer, Lee Curtis's character, Linda Drysdale, is seen holding an iPhone, prompting Johnson to give away the industry secret. Every single filmmaker who has a bad guy in their movie that's supposed to be secret wants to murder me right now, Johnson added. Apple has long cultivated an immaculate brand image and strictly controls how its products are used on the big and small screen. An article from Wired as long ago as 2002 pointed out that all the good guys in the long-running thriller series 24 used Macs, while all the villains were seen using Windows PCs. Guidelines advised that Apple phones, computers, and other kit bearing the trademark should be seen in, quote, the best light in a manner or context that reflects favourably on the Apple products and on Apple Inc., according to the site Mac Rumors. Apple is far from alone in attempting to dictate the types of content and characters brands are willing to be associated with. All brands have stipulations for how they want to be used and seen on screen, says Daryl Collis, director of product placement specialist Seesaw Media. And it is common for some brands not to want to be associated with a bad guy, or for an alcohol or car brand not to want to be linked with characters being drunk or involving crashes. For example, Danny Boyle's 2000 hit Slumdog Millionaire swept all before it, winning eight Academy Awards, but Coca-Cola and Mercedes wanted nothing to do with the rags to riches story of A Boy from the Slums. The movie's producers didn't ask for permission to use the brands in the film, and when they did later, the companies bristled at how they were depicted. In one scene, the criminal gang entices the lead actor, Dev Patel, and his brother with ice-cold Cokes in the hot Indian weather. We used Coca-Cola bottles on the day of shooting, and then we had to paint out the Coca-Cola label later, said Boyle in an interview. And in the case of Mercedes, Boyle said the car company was not averse to being in a hit film, just to being associated with poverty. There is a Mercedes in the other part of the film, in a really nice posh housing section, he said. They're quite happy about the Mercedes being seen there, but they didn't want it seen driving round the slum, he said. Okay, let's just rewind. <laughs> what a revelation. No bad guys with iPhones. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's, I mean, it's certainly going to be on my mind whenever I see that used in, uh, in, in future films. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Hmm. Has that ruined future films? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, dear. I don't know. I'll probably forget about it by this time next week. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a nice surprise when someone points it out to me again. But I think there's a... Excuse the, the terminology. There is a place for good product placement um, when you don't know it's being used. Okay. 
subliminally. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Mm. I just don't like when it's force-fed down your throat. Look at this product. Yeah. Holding it up to the camera. Thank goodness we've got this product. Can I, can I give you a recent example, a very recent example of that? When I saw um, Parasites in a cinema, I sort of noticed um, a... Uh, I forget the name. I think, I think it's like a, a South Korean brand of uh, bottled water in the fridge. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, based on the rest of the um, the film, that's probably sort of included there as like a, some sort of metaphorical device. Like, you know, the director's probably trying to communicate something for that particular thing. And then when I watched the, the end of the credits, it just said, you know, professional courtesy provided by this particular company. So no, it's just just product placement. And I um, assumed that it was uh, there was a higher purpose there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but no. <laughs> Sometimes people just want to get paid, and uh, it's true. In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. Okay, let's have a quick look through now at the film charts. The top five films currently showing at the cinema. At number five. Well, who would have thought it? Jane Austen's back with her beloved comedy, Emma. Yeah, period film with a period in the title. It's Emma. Uh, that I forced up at the end of it, which is interesting. Um, looks like an interesting film as well. Very good cast. Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn and uh, Bill Nighy. I remember I've seen the, 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 the trailer for this a couple of times in the, the cinema and it had a sort of interesting reaction, um, possibly because the, the trailer was uh, slightly awkwardly edited. But, you know, the last time that we discussed a film that had that kind of trailer, it turned out to be the personal history of David Copperfield, which was very good before. So, and I, I've heard good things about this one as well. Number four. Harrison Ford stars in The Call of the Wild. Brand new version of the Jack London story, which has been adapted a couple of times before. This time, the big draw is the uh, the big CGI mocap dog, as well as Harrison Ford. Uh, we'll be talking about it in depth on the programme later on. Number three. The quadruple Oscar winner, Parasite. And yeah, and one that I'm um, very happy to see has uh, gone up in the charts since it debuted a couple of weeks ago. Was, I think it was number two. This time last week, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that people are uh, getting to go and see it. We reviewed it on the program last time, gave it a, a richly uh, deserved nine out of ten. Just a excellently, well, excellent everything, really funny, tense. Um, has a lot to say, and if you haven't seen it, then uh, do so. It's uh, really good and really unique as well. Number two, he talks to the animals. It's too little. He talks in a Welsh accent. <laughs> Still, I have that more morbid curiosity around this particular uh, production. It's, it's a new version of, of the Doctor Doolittle story, starring Robert Downey Jr. in the lead role, and a, a whole bunch of very famous actors um, supplying their voices to various animals. It's a film that um, this has nothing to do with the film itself, but it's one that always throws me off that there's uh, only one O in the title. Because I think I'm more familiar with the, the Pixies album of the same name, which has two O's. And at number one... It's the Sega hero from the 1990s. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, starring Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. Um, and this is number one for the second week in a row, which is a, a very good turnaround, considering the reaction that the, the first trailer had when it uh, came out. And luckily, they, they did go and redesign uh, the 
well, the model that they have for Sonic. Really good thing too, is because that, that first one was. I'll just say it, it was ugly, I think. And <laughs> this, the new version looks a lot better. I haven't felt the need to go and see this one personally, which is odd because I do have that sort of that nostalgic draw when it comes to the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog character. But um, for some reason, it's not as strong with me with this film as it was with um, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. But from the reactions I've seen, that the the people who were hoping for it to be good are very pleased with it. The top five films now available to rent. At number five. The Royals pay a visit to Downton Abbey, the movie. Yeah, it's a a new feature-length episode of Downton Abbey. (laughs) And that's all we have to say. If you like like the show, you like the film. Number four. Will Smith meets his match in Gemini Man. Yes, um, I think there's a joke to be made there about uh, the, the limitations of the film itself. In the cinema, it was released as a, like a in a, in a higher frame rate, which um, made it uh, worth checking out to see how they applied that. But I think when it comes to the the home release, that, that it doesn't have that going for it, and just I think reveals itself as a fairly substandard action film. Number three, Arnie's back again. Mm-hmm. It's Terminator: Dark Fate. Yeah, I think this is a, the third attempt at trying to make a new. Uh, Terminator trilogy. Apparently, this one's quite good. Um, I do have some, still have some residual uh, hate, I guess is the word for it, considering the uh, the last film that we, the last Terminator film, which we reviewed on the program years ago, Terminator Genesis. Uh, the I think the lowest scoring film we've ever reviewed on the program. I think it was it was it was that bad. But uh, they brought back Linda Hamilton for for this one, and that's yeah, always a good sign. Number two, put on a happy face for Joker. Yeah, or like a you know one, like what's I, I don't know the official name like the 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 emoticon with the the, the mouth's like mm. that's all right. I mean why well, it's a good film I think we gave, gave it a six out of ten on the program last time um, I mean Richie deserves the Oscars that it did win for Joaquin Phoenix and uh, uh, the score as well it's a film with a lot on its mind I just felt like it could have done with sharpening those. Uh, Things and having a like a, a stronger point than it, than it does, but it's very different from the the other comic book movies out there. I'll say that much. And at number one, it's time to go beyond the fairy tale with Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Yeah, uh, another the original Maleficent was um, like a, a retelling of the the Sleeping Beauty story, or at least the, the Sleeping Beauty film that uh, Disney animation made in the. The sixties, and I mean, it was reasonably good. Angelina Jolie in the uh, titular role, and now there's a sequel. Um, I've got no idea what the second one is about, but like, I guess she does some more slightly dark things. It's done well, yeah. Well, if you know any more about these films and would like to share your thoughts on them, please contact us via Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. But up next, we review The Call of the Wild, which follows a sled dog struggling for survival in the Alaskan wild. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. It's time now for our first review of the program this time, which is The Call of the Wild, rated PG. Buck is a big-hearted dog whose blissful domestic life gets turned upside down when he's suddenly uprooted from his California home and transplanted to the exotic wilds of the Alaskan Yukon in the 1890s. As the newest rookie on a mail delivery dog sled team, Buck experiences the adventure of a lifetime as he ultimately finds his true place in the world. 
The Yukon is a dangerous place. You never know what's coming. I came up here because I didn't want to be around anyone. And then I met Buck. He was a dog like no other. He'd been spoiled. Out! Come on, Buck! And he'd suffered. Come on! But he could not be broken. How do you feel about an adventure? Beyond all maps. We should go. You and I. Where no one's ever been before. See what's out there. The Call of the Wild. Directed by the Oscar-nominated Chris Sanders, who previously wrote and directed Lilo and Stitch, The Croods, and How to Train Your Dragon. But this is his uh, live-action directorial debut. The story is based on the Jack London 1903 novel, and the film aficionados amongst you may recognise the title as Yes. It was previously made into a film in 1935, starring the King of Hollywood, Mr Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. Nick, uh when we watched the trailer for this film, we discussed the, the film's use of the, the CGI dog. Yeah. <laughs> and was the CGI, was it, was it good? Did it help the story? Or did you find it a bit of a distraction? It's, it's definitely the, the first thing you notice um, about the film. It was the first thing that we noticed about the trailer. Of course, we talked about it last time. Um, but I, I remember your position was that they, they should have used a real one. <laughs> Um, and you know, if that had been an option, I I would have loved to see that too. But uh, realistically, I think the, the story asks uh, way way too much of a, a real dog, so it's it's understandable that they went with the CGI route. Um, and admittedly, it, it did take me a, a bit to uh, to to get used to. But you know, after, after a while, I um, my, my brain settled on that. Um, I think in the subgenre of CGI animal movies, the uh, the most recent comparison is The Lion King from last year, which is a film that. Um, it was very successful, but it didn't really do anything for um, either of us. Uh, I think partly because of the insistence on making the animal characters look and act as realistically as possible, which is a noble aim, but uh, when it comes to making those characters emote, it's not something that real animals can do. So the the, the drama of, of several scenes, and there are some very dramatic scenes in that particular film, they, they, they just fell completely flat, I, I think, in that version. Uh, the, the difference with Call of the Wild is that firstly the animals are acting alongside human characters who can carry the emotional weight of scenes a lot better and secondly in the case of buck he isn't just a cgi creation he's a motion capture creation it's using the same kind of technology that people would have seen in, in the most recent planet of the apes films um, and also one of the same actors in in, in terry notary as well and that decision has a huge effect on how the scenes play out because not only is there an actual actor on set that uh, the actors playing the human characters can actively work with instead of staring at, at a green tennis ball on a stick, as, as Harrison Ford has put it. But um, when we see a close-up of Buck's face, there's a soulfulness and a, a human quality in, in the eyes that your your brain immediately picks up on and makes a connection with. You can understand what he's thinking and feeling just by looking at his face, which is you know, more than I think we can say for most movies like this. Um, I, I also, I think there's a clear effort to... Um, 
apply some of the style of animation that was used by Disney in the 60s. Like, um, there are specific moments in the film, especially in the opening, that I, I think would have felt right at home in The Aristocats or The Jungle Book. And similarly, I think the human interactions are very reminiscent of the live-action films that Disney was making in the 90s, like uh, The Adventures of Huck Finn and uh, White Fang, which was also based on the Jack London novel. It, it's such a, a classic Disney feeling film that I have to keep reminding myself that it isn't a Disney production. It's just one that they inherited when the company bought 20th Century Fox. But it, it you know, definitely gets points on the nostalgia front. Um, you go to care about a dog and the other dogs, which is the main thing. There are more moments than I would have liked in which we see uh, animals in desperate situations who are then never seen again in the film. And I know that's how nature and indeed life can be, but I... I really needed needed to know if those dogs were okay or not, and their absence from the later scenes in the film was uh, it definitely felt. On the human side of things, Harrison Ford is is the one who gets his name above the title on the poster, and I, I think this is his best performance in a while. He doesn't feel like he has one eye on the exit like he did in Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and he really engages with the, with the dog, which mirrors the experience of the audience. It's um yeah, it's a really good portrayal of a man struggling to work through his grief. Uh, I was not expecting Dan Stevens to show up, but uh, you know he gives a great bad guy performance with a, a capital B and G, and it's uh, nice to see Michael Horse pop up in a, a small role as well, and he played a uh, hawk on Twin Peaks, which I'm a big fan of. And I would just <laughs> add to this, you know that saying about uh, the owner always ends up looking like their dog. Right. I think this plays out in uh, in the film as well. Okay. I think Harrison Ford and Buck. Are well suited. You imagine Buck in a few years' at time, uh-huh. <laughs> and then you put, put them together, and you wouldn't know which is which. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right then, let's give it a score out of ten, then, please, Nick. Okay, uh, I'm going to give it a six out of ten. I mean, if you're looking for something to entertain people of all ages, or if you're just feeling nostalgic for the traditional feeling films that Disney used to make, then this perfectly fits in that slot. It's good. It's a good boy. Well, still to come on today's show. If you're looking for a film to rent, then. Wow, have you ever thought that the in-laws can be murder? Well, stay tuned for our review of Ready or Not. But up next, it's the Take 5 Film Quiz. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Okie dokie, let's take five now and test your Australian movie knowledge with five tricky questions. In the Take 5 Film Quiz. Okie dokie, so Nick, I'm challenging you to score three out of five this week. Okay. I don't like to say whether a quiz is easy or hard because I've written it, so I'm kind of biased. So... You can be the judge of it. Yeah. I think there are some pretty tricky questions in there. Okay. But let's see how you get on. Yeah. I am thinking about how knowledgeable in general I am about films from Australia. Well, there are Australian links to all the questions. Okay, okay. So it might not be specifically Australian films. Okay, in that case I might do a bit better than, than I fear. And we encourage you all to take part as well, and you can tweet us your scores on at Sunshine Cinemax on Twitter. We do love to hear from you and how you get on. And you can let me know whether this quiz is too easy or too hard. So then, eyes down, trousers up, it's question number one. 
which 1983 film about young cyclists starred Nicole Kidman? Eighty-three. In which 1983 film about young cyclists starred Nicole Kidman? Okay. Hmm. And I think, question number two. Which Australian actor received a posthumous Academy Award in 2008? Sorry, I just thought of an answer, but then I realised that person is very much not dead. Um. Which Australian actor received a posthumous Academy Award in 2008? Question three. Who directed Moulin Rouge, Strictly Ballroom and Australia? Question number four. Which Australian film attracted 21.75 million viewers when it was shown on BBC One on Christmas Day, 1989? Let me give you that one again. Which Australian film attracted 21.75 million viewers when it was shown on BBC One on Christmas Day, 1989? And finally, question number five. Which 2006 Oscar-winning animated film was the most expensive Australian movie ever made? Which 2006 Oscar-winning animated film was the most expensive Australian movie ever made? And we'll be back with the answers after this. In a world within our world, they've created a world unlike any other world. And in that world is a show, a cinema show, but not just any cinema show. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Okie dokie. Are you feeling confident, Nick? Uh, I feel like I've got a three. Okay. Okay. And how have you all got on out there? Have you done as well as Nick? Three out of five was the target. Let's find out. Question number one. Which 1983 film about young cyclists starred Nicole Kidman? Okay. Um, the answer I've written down is the only film I can think of that's about young cyclists. And I'm... I know that it's not an Australian film, but I've written it down anyway. Breaking Away. Incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you name a type of bicycle that youngsters like to ride? Oh, um, BMX? Yes. Something to do with that? Yes. And if you were naughty, or if you were uh, trying to uh, get away with mischief, you would be a bandit. Oh. It was BMX Bandits. Okay. Ever seen it? I've... It's a phrase that rings a bell, but I always assumed it was, like, made up from... Well, I mean, everything's made up, I guess. <laughs> Never mind. Great film. Didn't realise it was a real one. <laughs> Number two. Which Australian actor received a posthumous Academy Award in 2008? Uh, so, 
further from my first thought, I try to just think of any famous Australian actors that aren't that would that would have been dead in, in 2008, and I just come up completely empty-handed. I'm afraid. Heath Ledger. Oh, oh, right. Okay. See, I was thinking it was like a like a lifetime achievement type thing, but no, okay, no, should have got that. Question number three: Who directed Moulin Rouge, Strictly Ballroom, in Australia? Yeah, also the um, winner of a, a UK number one single, Baz Luhrmann. Uh, everybody wears sun. Everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Correct. Yeah, which he didn't write or sing. His name was just on it for some reason. Question number four: Which Australian film attracted twenty-one point seven five million viewers? When it was shown on BBC One on Christmas Day, 1989. Okay, bit of a guess, but I think this is one that's stayed quite popular over the years. Is it Muriel's Wedding? Oh, no. No? Okay. Think big Australian film. Think Australian film that put Australia on the map to Americans. Mad Max? No? (laughs) Think Australian film that's so big... That they even mentioned it and the main guy out of it when they had the Olympics. You have to tell me, I'm sorry. Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> He's coming back. It's called Mr. Dundee. They've, they've released from the poster. John Cleese and Chevy Chase are in it for some reason. Wow. <laughs> I'll see if I can bring it up on my phone. Do you know, Crocodile Dundee, uh, showing that film on the BBC, uh, made it the most watched film ever shown on the BBC <laughs> and finally question 5 which 2006 Oscar winning animated film was the most expensive Australian movie ever made same director as Mad Max Happy Feet correct I did ask uh, a friend of mine these questions just to test them and uh, he said so did it did it have kangaroos in it I said no he goes Ah, oh, so it wasn't Hoppy Feet. Oh. I said, get out. <laughs> get out. Okay. There you go, Nick. Two out of five. Two out of five. There is a poster for... And Nick is the, showing The you. excellent Mr. Dundee, as it wow. appears to be called. He's got grey hair and shiny white teeth. Yeah. Tagline is, uh, he's back whether he likes it or not. I think, I think the same is true for the audience. <laughs> well, how did you get on with the quiz? <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. Share your score on Twitter with us at Sunshine Cinemax. Up next, we review the entertainingly gruesome Ready or Not. This is Nick and Marcus exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. And it's time for our second review of the program, which is Ready or Not, rated 18. Grace couldn't be happier after she marries the man of her dreams at his family's luxurious estate. There's just one catch. She must now hide from midnight until dawn while her new in-laws hunt her down with guns, crossbows and other weapons. As Grace desperately tries to survive the night, she soon finds a way to turn the tables on her not-so-lovable relatives. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere 
we then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? And stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? You shot the maid. Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress, Emily? Well, Ready or Not was directed by Matt Bettinelli Olfen and Tyler Gillett. It stars Samara Weaving in the lead role. And I have to confess that when I first saw the trailer, I thought it was Margot Robbie. A lot of people thought that, yeah, yeah. Well, like Margot Robbie, Samara is Australian. Mm -hmm. uh, Margot, however, was in Neighbours, and Samara was in Home and Away. Ah. And, excitingly, uh, Samara will also be in Bill and Ted Face the Music, playing Bill's daughter, Thea Preston. Ah, uh, okay. So, Nick, you saw this in the cinema when it first came out. Yep. Were you ready to see it again? I was extremely ready. I'm, I was so ready, I'm not even going to get mad at that, that line there. Every, every now and then a horror film comes on that is just an absolute blast to watch. And I'm, I'm glad we're getting, that we're getting to talk about it on the show. The... The easiest way I can des describe it, and it's not a perfect comparison, but it's like if Knives Out was a horror movie. And I reckon that'd be enough of a, a recommendation for most people listening to this, but uh, I need to keep going for eight more minutes or so. So I will. Uh, I think we heard in the clip there that there's a large degree of black humour being used in, in the film, which I, I think is one of the reasons why the film uh, strikes such a chord, not not just with me personally, but with most of the people that have uh, sorted it out, because it makes all the nasty stuff go down easier. It's a, a slight sugar coating on the pill. For instance, someone getting crossbowed in the face, generally speaking, not a very, very palatable situation, but if you manage to find a way to, to make it funny, and you can do that with uh, pretty much anything, it doesn't turn people off in, in the way that a, a straight horror film might. And that's a difficult thing to do, but this film pulls it off beautifully. Uh, it might be might be too much for some, but I, I loved it. It is still a horror movie, though, and it gets very gnarly in places. It absolutely earns that 18 certificate, make no mistake. There's a, a lot of blood, a lot of grievous bodily harm and, and pain that I did, did not include in that clip. There's a, a short scene involving a nail, which is almost as wince-inducing as the scene involving a nail in A Quiet Place. And I, I, don't, I don't say that, like, and it, it works in a similar way. As soon as we are shown the nail, you know exactly what is going to happen, and the, the film makes you wait in, in agony for, for the, the thing to happen. It's, it's a gory flick. It, it might be too much for some, but I loved it. Uh, the cast are great, very adept at transitioning from horror to, to comedy, as, as required, often on a dime. Uh, I think Henry Cherney, Adam Brody and Christian Bruin, they all use their distinctive uh, acting personalities to good effect. And uh, I think it's safe to say that we have never seen this side of Andy McDowell before. Samara Weaving, though, is amazing in, in the lead role. I think this is a star-making performance for her, if ever I've seen one. And she has the most incredible scream. It's, it's almost like a, a full-on banshee whale it's like what ian gillen used to do in in deep purple and it works in both a defensive way and an offensive way it's almost like a battle cry towards the end and you know you get to hear it hear it a lot towards the back end of the film might be too much for some but i loved it uh and i want to briefly and very vaguely mention the ending because when i saw this in the cinema there were a few people who seemed disappointed by it I did not feel that way about it at all. I think it's the perfect punchline to the whole thing. I can see it being divisive. It might be too much for some, 
but I loved it. <laughs> well, in that case, Nick, let's give it a score out of 10. It's an 8 out of 10. I loved it. It's the kind of film that I really love getting to talk about and highlight on this show. It knows exactly what it wants to do. It knows what it has to do to achieve that. And then it just does it. It's, it's a fresh reading horror comedy. And I'm really looking forward to seeing whatever the uh, directors and writers come up with next. In a corrupt city where everyone is for sale, they're the best money can't buy. Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's have a quick look through some of the upcoming releases. And we shall start with the cinema releases. And on the 6th of March, we have Escape from Pretoria, based on the real-life prison break of two political captives in the apartheid days of South Africa. And this stars Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, which and this is a film I'd uh, simply never heard about until you brought it up just a, a minute ago. <laughs> well, I watched the trailer and it does look really good. Okay, so I'm interested to uh, to see if it, it follows through. Yeah, yeah, always down to see a, a good prison escape film myself as well. So he's got a beard in this, I notice. <laughs> he has, and he does. He's got the Harry Potter glasses again. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the 11th of March, the horror thriller The Hunt. Uh, Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. <laughs> but they've been chosen for the hunt. <laughs> Apparently so. Yes. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this one. It was... Um, I, I don't know if you remember the news. It was... The release of it was cancelled last year because uh, I, some people didn't like what they perceived to be the um, anti-conservative politics of it. Even though, if you watch the trailer, that is clearly not the politics that the, the film has the reason why I'm looking forward to it is well, I mean, not, not just because it's a chance to see a film that was deemed dangerous by some people which is always a, always a thrill even if it isn't accurate uh, but it's co-written by uh, Damon Lindelof who over the past few years has become one of my favourite writers I think he sort of came to prominence as the, the showrunner of Lost which I have mixed feelings about but the, the shows he made since then are The Leftovers and Watchmen from last year, which are two series that I really, really loved. So I'm interested to see what he um, what he comes up with with this, this sort of new take on, um, I guess, the, the most dangerous game, that type of story. What was the one with the, all the uh, the kids who uh, who wake up and have to scramble to go and get some weapons and take on each other? Uh, well, there's Battle Royale. No, no, not and, Battle Royale. There was the Hunger Games as well. Yeah, maybe it was Hunger Games I'm thinking of. But that's what it looked like, anyway. It's similar to that as well, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Coming out on the, the 6th of March in the cinema is Onward, which is a, the new film from Pixar. Uh, set in a suburban fantasy world, two teenage elf brothers embark on a quest to discover if there is still magic out there. And, um, yeah, see the trailers, it looks interesting. Got the voices of Tom Holland and Chris Pratt as the as the brothers in there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Pixar. I think people know what they're getting at this point, always a sign of quality. And I don't know if we mentioned this last time, but... Uh, have you seen the, the 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 digital faking of Tom Holland's face on Marty McFly? I saw the video being shared about. It. I haven't actually watched it myself, but wow. um, I've, I've seen sort of other similar videos, and the, the technology is is very impressive. It's amazing and a little bit terrifying. Oh, completely! Mm-hmm. And it has uh, who's your man? Who's Iron Man? What's his name? Robert Downey Jr. He's playing the Doc. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
amazing technology. Yeah, good fantasy casting. Uh, and also out on the uh, 6th of March is Military Wives, which, as you might guess from the title, is about the Military Wives Choir. This is a, sort of like a, a dramatisation of that story starring Kristen Scott Thomas and uh, Sharon Horgan. Uh, with their partners away serving in Afghanistan, a group of women on the home front form a choir and quickly find themselves at the centre of a media sensation and global movement. It's um, yeah, it's, it's brassed off, but like a real-life brassed off. I'm sure it's going to do really well as well. Probably. I mean, the, the trailers have been in, in, in the cinema for quite some time, so I imagine it's going to do quite well. Uh, should we look at DVDs? Yeah, what's available to rent? If I scroll down the massive advert that's popped up on IDV, I can tell you about Midway, uh, which came out to... Uh, well, yeah, like last year, at some point, directed by Rowan Emmerich. It's the, the story of uh, the Battle of Midway, uh, told by the leaders and the, the sailors who fought it. Absolutely massive cast. Got uh, Ed Screen in the, in the, well, I guess the lead role, but also uh, Patrick Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Luke Evans, Mandy Moore, Dennis Craig, and Aaron Ancart, Nick Jonas as well, of The Brothers. Yeah, so interesting to see. Like a, a big war movie, which um, the, the, the kind of which doesn't make get made much these days so it's always interesting when when wonders are pop up and just by comparison very different is also uh, Sorry We Missed You which was uh, directed by Ken Loach this is um, uh, hoping that self-employment through gig economy can solve their financial woes. a hard up UK delivery driver and his wife struggling to raise a family end up trapped in the vicious circle of this modern day form of labour exploitation so obviously a very serious film with some serious issues being raised uh, I remember, remember when it came out um, about six months ago in a the cinema, there was a, yeah, a lot of measured and serious discussion formed around it. It's a very powerful piece of work, all told, um, which you know, makes sense. It's following on from I, Daniel Blake, which was Ken Loach's last film, which is a very you know, powerful and, and stark piece of work. I don't, I don't know if you got a story of that at all. No, I didn't, no. No, uh, but that was, that was a good film, and I've heard that this one is uh, excellent as well. Well, one film I would like to mention, not an imminent release, mm-hmm. but uh, Arthur Cunning, uh, Candyman. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I remember seeing the original Candyman, the horror film, okay, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and thought, yeah, that was, that was, it was a good film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing a remake of it, a reinterpretation of it. Sure. And I thought, oh, who are they going to get to direct that? Because they need someone good. And they've got someone good. Uh, are you alluding to Jordan Peele? Yeah. Because he's not directing it, he's just producing oh. it. But he, he also, he co-wrote the, the screenplay. For us, so I mean, his his touches. He's are, heavily involved. Yes, his, his his touches are going to be very much uh, felt. I, I think with all of the uh, uh, social uh, issues that he always manages to weave into into his films. But it's uh, being directed by uh, Nia Da Costa, who, um, if I had some information, she's previously directed a, another horror film, the name of which uh, escapes me, but I've heard good things about that. And the uh, you know, trailer was released um, just a couple of days ago. What was it excellent use of "Say My Name" by Destiny's Child? <laughs> because of course it is. Um, the original Candyman is one I really want to uh, catch up with because I, I've heard that there's a lot of social issues involved in, in the original in the first place, and you know, I've also heard that it's a, a really good horror film. Tony, Absolutely, Tony Todd apparently very terrifying in the the lead role. Yes, yes. Um, I've heard he makes an appearance in this this new one as well. Oh really? Yeah. Oh amazing. Um, yes, yeah, stars uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second previously seen in a very small role in, in Us and had a very large role in the, the Watchmen series which I mentioned earlier as well <laughs> well there you go that's it for this week's episode uh, if you have any questions suggestions or feedback then head over right now to Twitter and we are at Sunshine Cinemax so until the next time I will bid you adieu goodbye for now 
And thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Well, soon. anything in today's episode you can hear the edited podcast online just search for the sunshine cinema show podcast this is a sunshine hospital radio production get well soon